Welcome to Bold Ambition Podcast. I'm Ingrid. And I'm Nettie. And we're two passionate Latinas conversing with bold, ambitious voices who are making waves in the world. Every week, we dig into the knowledge of community builders, experts, and thought leaders that equip us to make an impact. Okay, enough talk. Come take action with us. It's, it's episode, episode two. two. All right, Nettie and Ingrid here. We're so excited about this episode. We have such an insightful person joining us today as our guest. Ingrid, who do we have as our guest today? Today, we're here with Dr. Marta Menchaca. She's actually a UT professor. Hook them horns, of course. Whoop, whoop. Okay, so y'all remember, we said we're ready to sit down with knowledgeable people. We want to get their point of view because at the end of the day, we don't know all everything. So we want to learn more from them. Specifically with Dr. Menchaca, she shared her view as an anthropologist. And, you know, she's been teaching at UT since 1988. So she has classes all across the board in gender studies, Latin American studies, Mexican-American studies. You get the idea. I mean, this professor has a PhD in sociocultural anthropology from Stanford University. She specialized in race, ethnicity, and colonial work. So with her, we examine the history and the social movement of how Latinos slash the Latinx community plays a role now in the modern American society. Yeah, I think it was very insightful because, you know, nowadays we hear opinions. So I feel like every once in a while we need to sit one-on-one -on -one with experts who know the data and actually do the research. Yes. Even Nettie and, Nettie and I's opinions and points of view have changed after talking to Dr. Menchaca. How about we just dive into it? Y'all ready? I just completed a book that should be coming out. It's the Mexican-American experience in Texas dealing with uh, civil rights, the civil rights struggles. Wow, Dr. Menchaca, that sounds amazing. It, it sounds like you have such a wide array of knowledge and so many topics. And this is, this is so amazing. And, you know, just to kind of go back to your focus, just to let our listeners know, right, just kind of what anthropology, the definition, I, I love how it's, it just says it's the study of what makes us human, right? And yes. I mean, it's this broad approach to understanding just the different aspects of the human experience, which I think is just fantastic. So you early mentioned that you used to teach this class and, and I was looking at your bio on the YouTube website. And so it was really interesting that you used to teach the ethnicity and race in American society, mm -hmm. right? And so I, we, we got, we really took interest on this class and just to know about this topic, because what we're wondering is within that context, what is the role of Latinos and Hispanic and more specifically Mexican-Americans in today's society? In general, the, the study of race and ethnicity is uh, the study of formation of the United States as, as a nation and how the socioeconomic structure was developed and how relations between white Americans or those of European descent were formed and how minorities, racial minorities were excluded. So when you study it from a, uh, the United States from a historical perspective and then, then you study the class, therefore you go back and examine how was it that, that racial minorities were in, incorporated into the United States. 
And it, for the Mexican American and Hispanic population, we really have to look at the foundations of how Native Americans and then African Americans were incorporated because they were the first minorities that were part of the United States. And they were basically excluded and, and were considered to be inferior, not given equal treatment. And eventually then after the Mexican-American War, this is when uh, Mexican-Americans become part of the United States and they're treated and seen as in a similar way. It differs because they are partially of European descent. Then of course the Asian Americans come in and this is predominantly the Chinese. They're, they're here in very large uh, numbers, I would say by the 18, 1850s. So they're also excluded. A lot of it is based on just issue of race that, that these individuals are not uh, Europeans. So the, the class on race and ethnicity examines that point throughout and how eventually by the 1960s, when the social movements begin to take place and be enacted into law to end racial discrimination, there's a social class structure already instituted by the fact that certain groups had opportunities and other people uh, did not. And of course, you know, the once the, the civil rights movement takes place in the in the 1960s, uh, most states begin to enact the laws that have been said in the books in the, since the 1960s, but really are not enforced until the 1980s. And so this is when more mobility for the Hispanic population takes place, as well as for African-Americans. In the class also examines what is taking place in Latin America in relation to uh, what are the push factors that lead to Latin American people to leave uh, their, their country and come to the United States as, as immigrants because there's different periods of, of large migration from Latin America to the United States. Uh, it's basically about 90% of all the migration is from Mexico until the, the wars start in, in, in Latin America dealing with Guatemala, Nicaragua, and, and El Salvador. The laws for the immigration for, for Latin America were very liberal up until 1965. And, and so most Mexicans who entered before 65 were legally entered and were permanent residents. But the laws begin to get very strict and quotas are set and limits are set for the number of people that can immigrate from other parts of the world. So by, by 74, immigration becomes very restrictive. This is, this is so interesting uh, because I feel like Immigration on its own is such a huge topic, right? And sometimes we don't think too much of it, of like the impact it's making in just restructuring an entire society, right? And like you said, continuing to structure uh, a whole society. And I think at the end of the day, that's what America is, right? It's made out of, made up of immigrants from all over the world. And now, Dr. Menchaca, I'm curious about, you know, seeing all these populations moving and, you know, coming mostly into the U.S. If we were to narrow it down, what would be the role of uh, women, right? Mm -hmm. What is the role of, of women in this new society, right? And then later on, as all these movements are progressing, right, then what would be the role of a Latina woman? Right. In, in, in the, the general history of um, uh, Latinos, 
or Hispanics and then the majority of all of the Hispanics in the United States, as I stated up, up until the 1970s, is, is Mexican. So it's really, we're dealing with uh, Mexican-American history. When we're talking about Mexican-Americans, we're talking about families. And what is taking place affecting the, the families is both affects them, men and women and, and children. There are particular events that deal with Mexican-American women, but by law, they were affected in the same way as, as the, the men. However, in the text, primarily, the, because the civil rights organizations that we know about, they become the, the main actors, principally, largely because the men were the attorneys who were fighting the civil rights cases going back into the 18, 1800s. And they were also the ones confronting the uh, Anglo-Americans when they were being discriminated against. So then therefore, the primarily men are the ones that are, have been written about in, in history. Um, but there has been, women have been labor leaders. They were members of, of many of these organizations, the LULAC, and then the CSO, the Community Service Organization in, in uh, California. So when women uh, enter the picture more in terms of larger numbers, I agree with you that it's really during the civil rights movement or the Chicano movement when they begin to develop feminist organizations within uh, the, Chicano, the Chicano movement and they have particular agendas. And then they also contest that only the men should be the, the leaders. Uh, of these organizations. In in terms of what happens uh, regarding Latinas and the progress they make after the civil rights movement is that according to the the civil rights studies and reports that I have have read, there there is a social mobility. It starts in the 70s and 80s in in terms of Latinos entering the managerial professions but it's primarily only, only men. Uh, where you see the increase of, of uh, Mexican-American women is in, in more of the clerical. But that is a step up because they are getting better pay and they're also ent- entering the labor market. But no one's ever done a whole study about the entire United States, what is taking place with the Latino population, because that would be very difficult in my, in my book that it's upcoming. I did look at what was the social mobility of Latina women, and I've tried to look at what was taking place. But the the data just has to be compiled. So what I did do is I saw the, I used the University of Texas at Austin as a case study. And I found that after the 1920s, the college graduation rate of the uh, Mexican-American men, not men, but people, college graduates, it was about 50, 50% Mexican-American women and 50% men. So I'm not exactly sure what, what was going on in terms of the labor market, because that type of data is something that you have to go back and do archival research to find out exactly what is taking place. That requires a lot of time and research. A lot of this type of work, uh, you would collect it when you're writing a dissertation or later on when you're just going to specialize on, the, on, on, that, on that theme. What I, I did do for, and this was only for Texas, and this was then now studying the, the uh, census data, 
I did find that there was a the mobility of the of the Mexican American uh, women about half. Uh, of the of the women that were in prof professional and managerial jobs had taken place by the 1990s. And, and to my surprise, by 2010, the Latina, here we're talking about Latina, no longer Mexican-Americans, because we had immigration changes in the late 70s, 1980s, that now the Latinas uh, exceed men in the professional and managerial area. And so I, uh, I'm looking forward to read the census data for 2020 because it's going to reveal more information of where the Latinas are, are, are at. Uh, most Latinas are still, at, in, in terms of occupations, they're found at a clerical level, but you have, I believe it was 24 or 27% of Latinas are now in professional in managerial level of, of the Latino population. We're not talking about that they're 24% of the entire labor force. Oh no, we're talking about within the Latino population, they now exceed the men. So there's definitely um, social mobility. And I think this just follows up with uh, the gains that women uh, made since 19, late 1960s. Wow, that's amazing. And remind me again, when is your book coming up? It's going to be, I believe, sold by the end of December. In the, it should be in the bookstores. So I'm curious, do you think that the cultural forces, like machismo specifically, how, how are they impacting this mobility that you're referring to then? And how are they impacting the mobility now? From my perspective as, as an academic, I can only base it on what data is, is out there what the data reveals that there is uh, social mobility for Latinas taking place, largely because they are graduating from college. I think that, that structurally, the greatest effect upon the Latinas' mobility is based on what uh, uh, Latinos in general face as a racial minority population. And as we all know, Latinos tend to be highly stigmatized as a population that is uh, undocumented, uh, which it's not necessarily that the, the majority are undocumented, uh, that is not true. These stereotypes about uh, race, about immigration impacts Latinas and Latinos in general in the, in the, in the same way. In, in regards to the family, focusing on machismo is also a stereotype. All women are, are impacted by patriarchal society in which the, the leaders and most of the people that legislate the laws at the congressional to the community level tend to be men. Looking at the patriarchy and how it affects women, I, I see it more in, in that direction. But once again, there's no such studies that present grand analysis of the entire uh, Latino population. And then, and, and then when you're talking about Latino population, you're talking about many ethnicities and, 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 and nas uh, national origins uh, that differ because a, a, a person is Latino, it doesn't mean that they share the same culture and family um, background. So that's a really complicated issue. I think that what's important is to look at how women in general are, are, are affected by the structure in terms of that men continue to be the uh, primary power holders in society.
I'm definitely happy to hear that you're seeing a shift of um, the movement of societies and the movement of migrants, the movement of people, population. This is great news. Ingrid and I are two mm -hmm. examples of, you know, I'm, I'm a first generation college graduate and, you know, I made the move also here to Texas. So I I can definitely, I started, started to put together, two and two together in my head and thinking, wow, it is true. Like we're making the move. And it was because education was important. This is so great. And um, I cannot wait to maybe have you again on the podcast and continue, you know, hearing more about all the projects that you're working on. Before mm -hmm. we do wrap up though, I have one more curveball question for you because it, it is timely. Do you think Hispanic Heritage Month is making an impact in our communities? This is your per your personal opinion and your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think so. The only thing that I see on television are the selection of this, of uh, individuals who I've never heard of that are Hispanic. Why, why aren't uh, Dolores Huerta up That's there? or Vilma Ortiz, or the many presidents of Mexican-American Legal Defense and Educational Fund, that there's been various women who have been the president of the organization, they do not represent a good overview of who are the leaders in terms of, well, not leaders, but philosophical leaders within the uh, Latino community, who are the individuals that have really accomplished a very important task. They have not showcased one single academic and to attribute the Hispanic Heritage Week to uh, unknown individuals who have not, really not accomplished much. I, I just find it sad. At the, at the universities, you see a little bit better. They just celebrate Hispanic Heritage in terms of general, the cultural, diversity, that that's positive. And then you see a little bit of it in the local news channels that they just, you know, once again, they hail, you know, the diversity of the United States is important. And then they, they will, you know, they'll do a little story, but it'll be an important little story about individual a woman or a man who has done a lot of community service for the homeless, something like that. I find that very inspiring, but at the at the national level, in the the main channels, I think it's an embarrassment. Such great insight. I I agree with you. I love that you said we need to be showcasing the people that actually are doing something for their communities. Right, <laughs> and, right, and yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The people that are doing the groundwork, right? Right. Oh well, thank you. Yes, okay. thank you so much, Dr. Manchaka. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Okay, thank well, you. Uh, good luck with uh, your podcast, and I'm glad to hear that you're doing this. Yes, yeah, thank you. So please, uh, please send us a link if you have any for your upcoming book. We'll okay. love to hear with will. our friends. Awesome. Yes. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. Wasn't that such an amazing conversation? I could go on and on about how much longer I wanted to talk to Dr. Menchaca and Ingrid and I were talking I wish I could just go back to UT and take one of her classes even that he was like messaging me during the interview on zoom asking me if we could hold her a little longer to ask her more questions it's just so cool to speak with again experts and people that really have people that can back up their arguments because usually we just see headlines and Instagram posts but I don't think I've ever done the work to go to the true source 
of like where they're getting their information. I think she did a great job of putting it all together, putting it in a historical context mm-hmm. and pulling out some really great pieces. Absolutely. And so let's talk about our takeaways from this conversation. I think my takeaway was discovering that the social class structure that it's in place currently in the United States didn't happen overnight. I think I was reminded that movements like that take a long time to take place. And I feel like, again, it was a reminder that there were so many factors that came into play to see what it the United States is today, again, from a social class structure point of view. I think I was coming into this conversation with a narrow view of just what the Latino role was in today's society. And it just made me reevaluate that there were too many people before us that did the groundwork, that fought for our civil rights, that form organizations that are currently helping Latinos. I reevaluated my values as well and what I can do personally to continue this movement and this fight, so to speak. Totally. I think when she specifically said that machismo itself is a stereotype of the Latino population, it's it almost made me think, wait a second, I'm focusing on the wrong issue. Like maybe if I put that same energy towards challenging machismo and put it into my personal growth, professional growth, and community growth, we could accelerate so much faster. I think that was one of my biggest takeaways because I said, hold on, like, she's right. Like, where is the machismo data? We are all living under the patriarchy, and we will only change that through our actions and through our community work. I definitely think that this conversation shook me, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I think it definitely took me out of she may have made mention of this of um, the media because that is the narrative. You know, sometimes I think it was just really good to zoom out and focus on the process as a whole, referencing back to what she said since the 1960s, a specific times in which these movements either took place or started. And again, it's not a finished work and we must continue. Uh, but it was so great to get it to see it from her, her perspective. Didn't you also love when she said, no, Hispanic Heritage Month is not doing anything for our people? Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. OK, so y'all remember we started our podcast celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month and we were so excited to highlight, you know, that we're Latinas. But after this conversation with Dr. Menchaca, she made a very valid point. Historically, women have not and continue to not be highlighted for the work, the community work and service work that they've done for their community. But in reality, women are labor leaders. Women are civil rights leaders. Specifically, LULAC was even found, co-founded by a woman, Maria de Hernandez. And then the CSO, the Community Service Organization in California, is most famous for training civil rights leaders like Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta. But the question is, like, why haven't we heard about them before? Yeah, absolutely. I think she made a really good point about how mass media is highlighting, you and I were talking about it, mm-hmm. maybe just entertainment icons. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think how she would like to see Hispanic Heritage Month uh, be defined by it's the leaders 
in specific people who are making a change. And again, I know, I know we keep saying this, but you know, what is making a change? And Ingrid just mentioned that it's forming nonprofits that support education among Latinos. It's forming organizations that support women's reproductive rights. It's again, uh, forming communities that support single mothers. Again, it's just doing the work that needs to be done and not just within the entertainment industry. Earlier this year, I remember I was looking at Pinterest and I was looking for Latina inspiration for the podcast. And I remember telling Nettie that when you go onto Pinterest and you go to look for quote unquote Latina inspiration, all I was met with was big hoops and the media's portrayal of Latinas. We cannot be narrowed down to a picture of Frida Kahlo or like you said, big hoops or J-Lo. We're much more than that. I think there's so much more research and studies to be done, like she said. It was interesting because she also said no one has ever done a study about the entire U.S. and what's happening with the Latino population. She herself said it would be very difficult. So I don't know about you, but now I'm excited myself to see the 2020 census data. I know, Ingrid, we're such dorks, but I'm excited too. Because the better informed we are, I think the better understanding we have even about ourselves. Okay, so even though this podcast didn't touch on the culture aspect as Latinos and Hispanic, I think this just gave us great insight. Next, maybe we can dive into the cultural aspects and factors still affecting this social mobility. I'm excited to learn more about the family dynamics and our roles as Latina women on a more micro level, but that'll be for next time. Okay, guys. So we hope you learned something today. Now, time to go take action. Go check out MALDEF, the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Education Fund. I only heard about it when Dr. Menchaca mentioned it, but this is a great opportunity if you are committed to protect and defend the rights of all Latinos living in the U.S. Check out their page at maldef.org. You can donate, you can check out a scholarship for someone in need, or you can attend one of their events. I believe the more we showcase and share these resources within our circles, our families, our tios, our abuelas, whoever needs these resources, it's very important. So check it out. DM us if you have any questions, and we can definitely redirect you to other sources. Thanks, and have a great week. We'll catch y'all next time. Woohoo!